All right, it is Sunday, October 7th, and I would like you to open your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 21. Thanks, Faith. <laughs> Revelation, chapter 21. All right, that's fine, we'll keep going. Uh, after Friday night prayer gathering, uh, Brother... Uh, <laughs> Uh, you guys, you guys remember when people used to always say that? It's a good thing, but uh, uh, Brother Young, Jeremy Young said to me, he said, hey, you only have two more weeks left in Revelation. I said, it's cute that you think that. <laughs> I, I know I've been, I know I have been making good time in uh, going a chapter at a time, but uh, we're going to, we have to slow down just a little bit and uh, uh, because there's, there's. Interestingly enough, the last two chapters of Revelation, they don't change the subject at all, but the storyline changes dramatically. One of the reasons for that is, as we said last week, or, well, two weeks ago now, right? Three weeks ago, uh, we have reached the end. At the end of chapter 20, the end. Everybody say, the end. I mean, we have been to the great white throne of judgment. Heaven and earth have disappeared from the one who stands there, and death has been thrown into the lake of fire. The devil's been thrown into the lake of fire, and uh, we've, we've, every, every person who's ever lived in all creation has stood before the Lord, and their lives have been evaluated by one set of books and then one book. One set of books that evaluated every decision, every word of their life. He has plenty of time. And the Bible says that we'll give an account for all of our life, even every idle word. And then after that, we go to the last book, the book of life. And it was, a, especially first service three weeks ago, it was difficult to conclude that passage of Scripture because of the solemnity, the finality. There's great joy, but there's a great sense of gravity there as well. Here's what we said last week, and I'll try to, or, you know, last time. Everybody, every single person, we talk, Revelation talks about the second death. We'll refer, we'll see that again today, so that's why I'm reminding you. Revelation speaks of the second death, which is the lake of fire, and he says the the second death, and, and that no one whose name is in the Lamb's book of life has any reason to fear the second death. Well, I love you guys. That was horrible. Uh, you have no idea how, how important that if all you can say is, eh, then you're not considering that this is an eternal consequence. And no one whose name is in the Lamb's book of life has any reason to fear the second death or the lake of fire. There you go. And here's the other part. No, so we say everyone whose name is in that book will not go there, but everyone whose name is not will. And that's the gravity that's, but then that's the end. That's how we concluded. And so that was the end. So we say the end except for this. God has no end. And neither do his promises. So although we say, we say the end, then we say the end except for the promise. Come on, somebody say the promise. 
So Revelation 21 and 22 tell us of the promise of the age to come. And I need you all to say that with me out loud because I I want you to feel that because I really think if I do a good enough job, the Holy Spirit helps me, it'll help us with a template, with a theological worldview, uh, uh, how to make sense of our faith and what we're reaching for if we'll understand what we're talking about today. Say it again, the promise of the age to come. The promise of the age to come. God has no end, neither will his promises. And we have said time and again that that eternity is real and is trying to get your attention. How many believe that by now? Eternity is real. It's trying to get our attention, and it tries to get our attention by breaking in on today. And a great deal of revelation has told us that, that we, all, we know that there are two parts of eternity. One of them is judgment. And some of that judgment reaches in, in measured portions upon the earth, not in final consequence, but all of these judgments are reaching in. And the point is not punitive, but redemptive, to try to pull the hearts of men and women around the world to repent and trust in Jesus Christ. But at the same time, there's another part of eternity that is breaking in and trying to get our attention. And, what, and the, the truth is, the promise of the age to come, that promise breaks in today and is trying to get your attention, is trying to win your heart, is trying to secure your trust in Jesus Christ. We have now, we have the pledge today of the promise of the age to come. We have the pledge of this promise. We are the sign of what is to come. I want you to just feel that. I know there's probably a quick amen because it sounds good, but you need to understand that you and I, as the church of Jesus Christ, we are not, you are not at a bus stop waiting for the divine bus to come pick you up. That is not the definition of the church of Jesus. The church of Jesus is a sign of the future. You are a pledge. You are a down payment. You are the first installment of the promise of the age to come. You got to get, that's the template we're going to see today. We're going to look at the promise and see the pledge. We're going to consider that promise and see that the pledge, the down payment, the first installment of that promise is who we are and what we're living today. Hebrews chapter 6, it's not the point of the writer of the Hebrews to say this. He's talking, he's warning people about abandoning their faith. But in that warning, he describes what I'm saying right now. He says in 6 verse uh, 4, For in the case of those who have once been enlightened, you've been enlightened, and have tasted of the heavenly gift, and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, and, listen to verse 5, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, And then he says, to have fallen away, it would be impossible to renew them again. But he's describing believers not as broke, wimpy people waiting at a bus stop for the end time bus to come. You know, and the little thing on the front of the bus says, end time. And the guy says, come on in, been waiting for you. No. You are partakers of something divine. 
you are participants in something eternal, and you own right now, you have been given the down payment, the pledge, the first installment of the promise of the age to come. And as such, you exist as a light. Why are you, what is this light shining? You are a light that says eternity is real and we're the first installment of it. Look and see that God the Holy Spirit is here. Well, I got to tell you, we're going to look and see in 21 and 22 what, what the promise looks like and that should give you more faith today to say, hey, that's what I possess today. I possess some of that. We're fighting for more and, and you know when the fight stops? The fight stops when the, when the clouds render and he comes. After that, we stop fighting. Back to the Bible. So the age to come breaks in in the age of the present. And it breaks in in hope and in power and in signs and in wonders. And as a pledge, you and I get to enjoy this now. And as a pledge, it draws our hearts to trust in him more. Today we'll look at the first part of that promise. And it is a promise in, verse, in chapter 21 that God makes all things new. Let's look at these verses together. Verse 1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. Now, in case anybody is going to send me a note and say, is there something wrong with God's heaven and God's going to redo the throne room? In this particular context, heaven would mean the earth and then the heavenlies, the, the skies around. He's, he's not talking about God's heaven being destroyed. Okay? So, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. This promise of a new creation is rooted in Old Testament prophecy. Um, we'll, come, we'll look at this at least twice today. Isaiah 65 and verse 17, uh, the prophet Isaiah says... For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that God is going to give you divine amnesia. What that means is that the power and the glory and the splendor of what is to come will will be so much better, so much more glorious, that your mind will not wander backwards. There will come a time when nobody will, quote, remember the good old days. It's in Old Testament prophecy. It's in apocalyptic literature. The intertestamental literature is rife with and landscaped with re- references to a hope of a new creation and God doing a new thing. And that hope was carried on into the, the, epi- the epistles of the New Testament. Listen to how, what Peter says to his audience in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. Here's Apostle Peter. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? I've got to stop here. I'll finish. But right away, listen to this truth that the, the prophetic declaration that God is going to do something new 
does not lead us to some, to some lackadaisical, laissez-faire, hey, it's all going to burn, what does it matter? I'll just, you know, I, I'll, I don't need to bathe or shave or change my clothes. Or I'll, I'll, just, I'll just lay here and wait in, in, in worthlessness because it's all going to disappear. On the contrary, this is, so this is not a, a dismissal of creation. It is, a, it is an affirmation of redemption. And he's saying, since everything is going to be made new, you should live like new people right now. You feel it? Since the promise is this, this is the pledge is this. Since everything is going to be new, since it's all going to be different, since all of the trash and all of the nonsense is going to be destroyed, you shouldn't be living for the trash and nonsense now. You shouldn't be just living like, like, like that which is going to disappear. This system and its values and its nonsense, you don't need to hashtag like be everybody else. You don't need to hashtag relatable. You don't need to identify with a world system that up until now, in the book of Revelation, has been trying to kill you, but then we find out it's all going to go away so instead you live like people who are going to be made brand new you live new lives now because listen looking forward to and hastening the coming of the day of the lord look at verse 13 but according to his promise we are looking for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells We look like people who are living in a world of righteousness. This promise should influence how we live incompletely. Now, when it talks about a new heavens and a new earth, this is not a, this is not, we're not talking about a total, this is a, this is something that is a total renewal. It's not necessarily a replacement. You know, you're not going to wake up in eternity and live on planet Zorbatron. Okay, this is not God relocating you to another planet or something like that. He is, listen, God is not throwing away creation. He is renewing it completely. In the same way that the body of Jesus Christ was destroyed in the act of crucifixion, his, he, didn't go, he didn't stand up and look like, you know, cousin Silas. He, he came out of the grave looking like Jesus of Nazareth, but different, but renewed, but glorious. That, that's what the, 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 he is. He is the firstborn, the first fruit, the first one to embody this idea of new creation. And that's what, this is what we're looking forward to. Now, then it says no more sea. Now, I know some of you might be upset. Ed, all Ed sees is no more fishing. That this is not, the Bible isn't anti-water. It's very pro-water. We don't have time to talk about that. But the sea at that time was a great mystery. As a matter of fact, today it still remains a great mystery. Ben was just telling me the other day, Dad, I was watching this thing where they, they still haven't figured out all the depths of the ocean and these massive, uh, these depths and crevices, crevasses, whatever they're called. You know, these, 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 uh, the, these uh, what's, the pr- what's the plural of abyss, Marie? Abysses? Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, there's lots of those and they're big. Okay, not bad, not bad. That could work. We'll, 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 let's decide it's Abbasai. I don't even know why, but let's decide. Yeah, yeah, I liked it. Sounded very Latin-y. Yeah, uh, but we, it's a mystery. It's darkness, it's depth. Listen, all, where do storms come from? 
Storms and floods and massive hurricanes and these things that, that, are, that, that cause fear, they come from the sea, right? Furthermore, what divides humanity? So when the, when the writer says there will be no more sea, he's saying there's no more source of storms, no more source of fear, no more division. Furthermore, where did all the beasts come from? Yeah, no more beasts, everything gone. So when he says no more sea, the source of fear and confusion and division is gone. Yeah, it's good. I didn't do it, so I'll shout with you. That is good. But again, every time you hear new creation described, think, I, I'm, I have the pledge of that, and I'm supposed to live like that. So if there's, come on. So if there's no fear in the new creation, there should be no fear now. You should live like people who don't have fear. If there's no division in the new creation, you need to live like people who aren't divided. If there's no storms in the new creation, when storms do come, you say, do your worst. I'm not moving. I'll be here when you're done. Verse 2. Wow. See, I told him he was cute for thinking I was going to go fast. Verse 2, and I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem. Oh, dear Jesus, this gets better, better. Every verse gets more exciting. I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. John here sees the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Jerusalem represented to to this audience their hope and their joy. It hosted the temple. It was royal, and it represented the dominion of God and the habitation of the people of God. We've already heard in Revelation that this this promise is coming. Revelation 3, 2, Jesus said, He who overcomes, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. I'll write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out from heaven from my God and my name. This city is the bride. This city is in stark contrast to what we've heard about. The great city, the harlot, Babylon, she's gone. She is adorned in, in secular stuff, and she's full of poison and idolatry and immorality, and she's been cast into the water. She gone, but now the, she's the counterfeit, but now the real has come. The real is made manifest. The holy city, the people of God, and she comes out of heaven. She is not of her own design or origin. She li- we live like people who have been made from somewhere else we come from somewhere else we're designed by somebody else we're adorned we live by a a whole different plane a whole different level of mores and 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 reality a guide and govern our life and the bible says she's been made ready she didn't get herself ready god made you wow and the church herself is now the pledge of this city the church right now is the promise, you are the promise that this city is breaking in. You are the sign that this city is coming. Verse 3, and a, 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 the promise of a new tabernacle. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Here we have a voice from the throne that says, Behold, look. What are we looking at? This. 
the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them. Now, in Hebrew, the Hebrew is a language of consonants. There are no vowels. And what's interesting, and, and many commentators note this, that the, the consonants here for tabernacle and Shekinah are the same. This is an in, probably an intentional play on words here, that the tabernacle of God, this means this. This should be understood like this. The time will, has come that the glory of God in fullness will dwell, will abide, and live in fellowship with men forever. The glory of God has come to dwell with men. There will, there will come a time when there will be no difference, no discernible difference between heaven and earth. And you have the pledge now. You have become partakers in it now. You are supposed to be the sign that that will come now. The church is the sign, the pledge the placeholder, the, the, the down payment, the first installment of this. The tabernacle of God, the glory of God has come to dwell among men. But this has always been God's promise to dwell among us in His glory. It's always been His plan. The Garden of Eden, God dwelled among men without hindrance and without obstacle. And after the fall... God found new ways, the tabernacle of Moses and the, the temple of Solomon. All of these things foreshadowed the temple of God, the presence of God abiding and dwelling with his people. At the exile, the prophet Ezekiel, he saw this promise coming in Ezekiel 37, 26. He, he says, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will place them and multiply them. And I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling place also will be with them. I will be their God. They will be my people. Ezekiel saw something glorious. Ezekiel knew that the, the temple was no more, but he looked forward into the future and he saw this promise coming. The Lord Jesus himself not only came as, a, as the perfect expression of this, but as the one who would secure this promise for us. He comes, and what is his name? His name is Emmanuel. That's not just his nickname. That is the hope that he came to bring. God with us. This is the, he came to make certain that this promise would come to pass. He came to make certain that you and I would know God as God with us, not from us, not away from us, but with us. And we have this possession now. We have this promise now. As a matter of fact, friends, Pentecost is the pledge of this promise to everyone who believes. The gift of the Holy Spirit is the down payment, the first installment of the promise to come. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, he said, Having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. Are you hearing the words here? He is the Holy Spirit of promise, he is the part of the promise of the age to come, but he is given as a pledge, as a down payment, literally a first installment of everything you're going to inherit. You possess already something of what you will enjoy for eternity. Whoa! 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 
verses 21 and 22, Paul says, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge, as a down payment. Verse 5, verses 4 and 5, we have the promise of new hope. Listen to this. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning. I've got to read this slowly. I've read this a hundred times this week, and I'm still getting wrecked by it. Listen to that again. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any. No, no. There will be no mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. We are reading here the benefits of the promise. We've already, we've already heard these in chapter 7, verses 16 and 17. But listen to them again now in verse 21, chapter 21, describing the promise of the age to come. The, in the age to come is the promise that God will wipe every tear from our eyes. He'll wipe away every tear. He will remove the record of remorse and regret. He will remove the cause of weeping. Look, Jesus said he came to bind up the brokenhearted, and he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Are you hearing that this has already begun to break in? This is already breaking in. He's already a way maker. He's already the healer of broken hearts. He's already one who finds the brokenhearted and lifts them up. He's already the one who turns our mourning into dancing. He's already the one who gives us the oil of gladness. He's already the one who gives us the, the garment of praise for the spirit of despair. He's already doing this. The pledge is already here. It's already breaking in. It's already breaking in. If you want to know what kind of life you're supposed to be enjoying today, look at the promise of the age to come because we have the pledge. It's here. It's working. It's happening. And he says, there will be no more death. It has been destroyed. In, in, in the language of Jesus, you and I are already, already living forever. You already got it. There will be a small nuisance of your physical body going away. But in the language of the gospel, you are already possessors of eternal life. Bring it. You're already possessors of life eternal and abundant. And there'll come a day when the rest of this will be fulfilled. Listen to this. There will be no more mourning. That means no more grief, no more sorrow, no more pain in our soul. It will be gone. There will be no more crying. That literally means no more wailing and clamor and lamentation, the cries of the streets, the cry of the deepest grief of your heart will be gone. There'll be no, our, our, our lamenting in our homes and over, over the havoc and the pain and the injustice and over death and over loss, it will be gone. There will be no, no more pain. Everybody just say it out loud. No more pain. No more pain. No more misery. No more anguish. I think there could be challenge and discipline and excitement in eternity, of course. I don't think. But no more, no more pain. No more anguish. No more things that are contrary to the will of God. This is the promise of the age to come. And that pledge, 
that down payment, the sign of that promise breaks in. In fact, it has been breaking in since Jesus announced that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. It has been breaking in since he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil. It has been breaking in since Jesus announced that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him to preach the good news, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set at liberty the oppressed, and to herald the year of God's favor. That thing has been breaking in. That is the promise of the age to come, and that is the promise that breaks in today in the name of Jesus by the present power of the Holy Spirit as a down payment, as a pledge to experience and to contend for. We contend for it today. They'll come and we will fight for it today. We contend for it. Revelation began, says, we are in this for, in, in kingdom and tribulation and perseverance. We live for the kingdom. It's present today in power. We have the pledge of the kingdom. In the meanwhile, there's persecution. And what do we do? We persevere in the meantime. And we keep persevering in the meantime because one day the fight will be over. One day it will be over. But today, we're not, we're not wimps. We're not running. We have a pledge. We have a pledge. We have a down payment. We have a sign. We've been sealed. We've been marked. We are the 144,000 church militant. We have been, we are stamped with eternity and we live like it. He who sits on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. If he's a, if he's a new maker, you might as well get some new stuff now. If you got a pledge of making all things new, you might as well say, Lord, well, let's start now. I need me some new stuff. You might need yourself a new marriage. You might need yourself a new home, a new family, a new heart. You might need yourself some new legs or new eyes or new ears. He's going to make all things new eventually. Might as well get a start now. He said, right, for these words are faithful and true. He means these words are, these words, woo. He said, right, for these words can't be stopped. He said, write this down because nothing's going to stop this. Right, because this has been established from time and eternity. They're, they're faithful and they're reliable. You can't stop them. These words, this is the promise of God. Behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing and her people for gladness. I will, and I will also rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people, and there will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping or the sound of crying. This is the promise and we got the pledge. Verse 6. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. That's not an observation. That's a declaration. He's not, he's not letting us see something. Oh, by the way, if you notice, it's done. He's, he, it's, it's done because he just said so. I'm going to talk to him because he got it. It's done because he he just said so. He said, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and the last. I started this, and I I started this, and I'm ending it. I'm the source, and I'm the goal. I'm I'm the starting line, and I'm the finish line. It is done. And then he says this. This is a promise of new life. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without costs. 
forever and forever. The one who is without, the one who is without end will become for us. He is the, the pledge of eternal life. He, this is the promise that he will supply us with life forevermore. It will come directly from him. But once again, we have this pledge already. Jesus already said, if you come to me and drink, you'll, you'll never thirst again. And he came and he, and he stood up at the day of the feast and he said, everybody who's thirsty, come to me and drink and out of you will come rivers of living water. We already possess the pledge of this great promise today. Verse 7 says we have a new home. The goal of eternity, do you know what the goal of eternity is? Come home. That's the goal of eternity. Listen to it. The goal of eternity. And he who overcomes will inherit these things. You know who gets to inherit stuff? Kids. Family. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. The goal of eternity is to come home. You might as well come home now. You might as well come home now. You might as well come home now. Because, he, because, because you are sons, the Bible says he has given the spirit of, of his son into your hearts. The Holy Spirit through whom you cry out, Abba, Father, right now. And since you will be sons forever, you, ought, you might as well live like it now. And there's one more warning. And I wrote it, a, I wrote it as a warning, but golly, if I didn't think I should have reworded that a little bit. Because we're still talking about, we, have the, we possess, we have a pledge of, the, of what will be. But now in verse 8, we're reminded of, of what will not be. And I might just add, what we read in verse 8 is, you might as well not live like that now. Because it's not going to be in there. It's not going to be in the future. These are the things that should not be. <laughs> but listen to this warning, please, in verse 8. But, but for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable, and murderers, and immoral persons, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. When we consider the magnitude of the promise that that has just been delineated for us, the reader is warned to reject any danger of forfeiting such great promise. There are those who will not experience this promise, those who have rejected Christ and they live like they have rejected Christ. You might notice this in the Bible. The Bible doesn't really recognize this this concept of being saved and not living like it. It doesn't describe it. It, you You don't find that situation described. In the Bible, if you're saved, you live like it. And if you're not saved, you live like that. Most of the time in the Bible, people that are saved, that are, that are believers, they're, they're described by their way of life. That's why James says, I'll show you my faith by what I do. So you have here a list, not of certain things that, you, that if you do these things, you're in big trouble. This is describing the lifestyle, the way of life of people who are without faith in Christ. Those whose names are not in the book of life are described by their conduct. First of all, John says they're cowardly. Now, that's not Dorothy's lion. 
Don't get too worried about that. If you have fear of heights, this is not pertaining to you. Yeah, whoosh. I don't like crowded spaces. I get a little nervous in, you know, tight spots. So um, this is not that. This refers specifically to those who, who the, the, in, the, in the audience of this book, this refers to those who at first liked the idea of Jesus, but then denied him in the face of pressure. They are unbelieving. They are those also who refuse to believe. They are abominable, meaning their actions have been detestable, unclean, and contrary to the pure and pleasing will of God. They are murderers. You could take that, of course, literally, but usually the text implies that these are people who have denied the sanctity of human life. They have rejected the image of the, that, that mankind is the, made in the image of God, and they have shown contempt for human life. And they are sexually immoral. They reject God's sovereign goodness and moral authority when it comes to human sexuality. They are, they, and listen to this. The, the, the wooden language actually says they are lies. They don't just tell them they are them, meaning they live a blasphemous life. They blaspheme. They call good evil and evil good. And finally, here's the thing. And, and if you have a shout, just keep it in your pocket. Don't shout here quite yet. Verse, the last part of verse 8 says their part, their portion, their inheritance. The inheritance of those who overcome is sonship forever. The inheritance of those who are not in the Lamb's book of life, their inheritance, their portion, this is what it says, is in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The second death is for those whose names are not in that book. So I'll say it again. No one whose names are in that book will go there. Everyone whose names are not will. Eternity is real and is trying to get our attention. The promise of the age to come is real and we have the pledge of that right now. I don't want you to to let go of how significant it is that the template for your faith is not yesterday, it is not today. The template for your faith, for your believing, is not what is. The template for your faith is what will be. That's where you reach for. When you begin to reach for believing God, when you begin to believe and to dream and to pray and to seek God for what can be, don't look around for what is or what has been. Look to the promise of the age to come and understand that that is what you have been given as a pledge. That is what we are reaching for and believing for and living for. I mean, just think of it. Think of that as the template and then go back and read Revelation 4. Go back and read the passages that describe the worship in heaven and think, oh, that's our template. That's the kind of people. That's the praise. That's the, we, are, we are supposed to be a sign of all of that right now. In righteousness, in victory, in hope, in healing, in, in, in the glory of God. The promise of the age to come, that's our pledge. That's our down payment right now. But friends, I've got to come back and just close with this one statement. The importance of the book of life cannot be overstated. If your name is in that book, friend, you should live like it. 
If your name is in that book, you ought to, it, you ought to, then your life should be described. It ought to look like it. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 4.1 and in Philippians 1.27 that we should live worthy of the gospel, worthy of the calling we've received. We can't earn it, but we should live like it once we've got it. We should live like people who belong somewhere else. There's no greater joy than being in that book. No greater joy than knowing that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And there's no greater sorrow than finding out that your name is not. So in this last 30 seconds, let me say it again, the importance of that book. First of all, how will you live your life in light of the book of life? Let's just have a quietness here please for a moment how will you live your life in light of that book if your name is in there that doesn't mean you kick your heels back and say whoosh it's over no first of all it means you should live like your name is in that book secondly it should it should be on your heart about anybody else who's not i had a two-hour ride a taxi ride back home from not back home but from Santiago to Holguin in the southern part of Cuba. And the guy that I was with, we got in the little taxi, and the, we had a driver, a Cuban man. And uh, I humorously said to myself out loud, knowing that the man was Cuban and didn't speak English, I said something to this effect, well, so much for having to make small talk for two hours. And I didn't have to. He didn't say a word for 90 minutes. But then I started thinking about the book. And I thought about someday looking across whatever room we're in and seeing my taxi driver looking and hoping his name was in the book. And I thought, what am I doing right now? What am I doing right now to... To, to make it all, to make it, to, to, to make whatever possibility certain that his name's in that book. I can't even speak his language. You'd think I should after all this time. He's, he's not going to think it's cute that I make up Spanish words. Fortunately, he had a bracelet. Uh, like a, he was, had a, like Catholicism, different pictures of things. And one of the little pictures was of Jesus on his bracelet. So I looked up and I said, Lord, it's about the book. This, I don't know how this is going to go. I have no hope, no confidence. This is nuts, but it's about the book. So I said, Catolica. And he said, eh. And I said, Jesucristo. He said, see? I said, yo, yo tengo Jesucristo in mi corazón. That's all I knew to say. I just wanted him to know it was possible that Jesus could live in your heart. He nodded his head. That's all he did. But I cannot, I cannot live, you cannot let a day go by without remembering that there's going to come a day when the book's going to close. I'd love, to, I'd love to only just spend the rest of this message just emphasizing the power of the world to come and the pledge that we have now. I think you've got it. But then he closes with verse 8 reminding us about the book. Well, we should, it's almost like this. Remember, 
Remember when the apostles came back to Jesus and they said, Lord, we're living in the promise of the, of the age to come. We got the power in the name of Jesus. They said, even the demons are subject to us in your, in your name. And Jesus said, oh, yeah, I know, boys. I saw heaven. You got it all right. You got the promise. You've got the pledge. You've got the kingdom. You've got work to do. But he said, he said listen, boys, all of that is great. The, all of that is great. But don't rejoice over that quite yet. Rejoice over this, that your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I'm happy for the promise of the age to come. I'm rejoicing for the power and the pledge that we have today. But friends, can I ask you to stand together, please? If your name is in that book, you've got great reason for joy today. You might say, hey, Dav, yeah? How do I know? I don't have access to that book. How do I know my name's in there? We said it during communion. If you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you confess with your mouth that he is Lord. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. If you will confess, and that is, that is not just to mention, but declare, to agree with, to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. If you will, as we said back in the day, and I'm just going to, I'm going to quit trying to make up new words, Right? We said it back in the day. If you have said, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and be my Lord. He has, and your name is in the book. If you haven't, I beg you today, surrender to Jesus. Surrender to Jesus. Just pray that prayer where you are. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come in, the song used to say, come into my heart. Come in today, come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in and live in my life. Be my Lord. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me. Set me free. Be my Lord. Write my name in your book. And I thank you that you'll never take it out. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.